know your competition. You know, a lot of people don't invest enough time in understanding their competition. And when I say invest, I'm talking about literally go to their stores, order their products, go through their customer journey, try to return something. And I'm talking about all your reasonable competitors. You can learn so much from that. That's Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, a CEO, a vaccine expert, and a physician with specialties in internal, pulmonary, and critical care medicine. Dr. Bakhtari has launched multiple innovative startups that leverage technology that expands and disrupts traditional markets. He has also focused on growing a corporate culture that empowers the leadership and staff to innovate. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain, and you're listening to Dear Human Resources. Dr. Bakhtari is going to talk about what he believes are the top five underrated CEO skills. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bakhtari. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a big honor. You are a physician who have uh, launched several startups. What does your interest in CEO skills stem from? You know, I, first of all, I think being a physician on some level, you are a CEO of your practice or whatever. So I think, or, you know, in the hospital, you know, you're giving orders and what have you. So I don't think physicians can really avoid some of that being a CEO on some level. But of course, when you start a uh, startups like we have, I mean, you by definition, if you're the founder or you're the person behind it, it you first just realize you you have no choice. You got you have to acquire skills and be effective because obviously it's going to maximize your chances for success. So I think uh, instead of saying the interest, what I would say is just my background kind of lends itself to that. And then of course, when we started the companies, it it became paramount to you know acquire and hone those skills. I'm just curious, what kind of startups have you started? So we started uh, E7 Health back in 2009, U.S. Drug Test Centers, uh, which was a sister company that we launched in 2015. And subsequently, we launched enationaltesting.com. And we're actually now on our fourth technology platform called USTPAGateway.com. So those are the four plus some sort of lateral companies that we've been working on. So, But they're all kind of related in one sense, and we write technology for all of them. So on one hand, they're different, but on the other hand, they have the same leadership team often and certainly the same technology team. Dr. Bakhtari, you believe that there are some underrated CEO skills. How about you start by giving us one or two overrated CEO skills? You know, one overrated skill is, I, I think, or overrated in the sense that it's perceived, uh, people feel like if they're the founder, somehow that gives them an inside track on managing the company or maximizing its chance for success. And I think that is one thing where you have to really be careful just because it was your idea or you put the money in doesn't make it necessarily the right fit. And I've seen plenty of great ideas that didn't go well because the person whose idea it was, and giving full credit, was not the ideal person to be running the show. So clearly, that's one area where you could be perfect in terms of coming up with the idea, but horrible for executing it. So that's one un underrated skill. I think a lot of people kind of view being a CEO as a soft skill. And they think like if they're good with people or people like them, 
that somehow that's going to make him an effective CEO. It's very necessary to be liked and and be good with people. So let's put that out there. But I think it's very overrated to think you're good with people and therefore definitely you're you're going to be a good CEO. The last thing, but you only asked for two, but I want to give you one more. The last thing is really this idea that if you're a subject matter expert on something, you're going to naturally be a good CEO. You know, for example, if someone's in the engineering department and they're a great engineer, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be great at being in charge of the engineering department. And I think I think it's the, we call it the Peter principle, which you may be familiar with. That doesn't necessarily mean just because you were good at that, that you're going to be effective at leading that. And I think that's another fallacy that people get into in terms of thinking that this is the right person to be in charge. You're absolutely right. You know, there are a lot of founders or CEOs, for that matter, that have technical knowledge, but are absolutely terrible at managing people. And right. perhaps perhaps they shouldn't be doing that. In fact, hire someone who can do that job for you. Let's delve into the CEO skills that you believe are underrated. You have identified five of them. What are they? Let's go to the, I think, the most important CEO skill, which is a skill and an attitude, which is to be on all the time. And I said this in many different occasions because I think a lot of CEOs feel like, especially if they have multiple things going on, that they can put in a 40-hour work week or whatever and and things will go swimmingly. And, I, and I'm not a big necessarily advocate of putting in more than 40 hours. I'm just an advocate of being on all the time, meaning if the stuff hits the fan at eight o'clock at night or on a Sunday afternoon, people should be able to get a hold of you. And so I think this thing, I often uh, am amused when you know you send some high-ranking person or a CEO an email and you get a response back that, you know, unfortunately I'm not available and I'll have limited access to my emails. And if any CEO is putting limited access to their emails as a as an automatic response, I, I think that's a big telltale sign. I mean, first of all, let's be honest. In 2023, there's no such thing as limited access, unless you're going to be literally, you know, rowing down the Amazon River, you're going to have access to the internet. So, you know, so who, who are we fooling? But this idea of just if you're in charge and something hits the fan on a Sunday afternoon, I think you send the wrong message to your staff. You send the wrong message to your clients, to your what to people that work with you. And so that that idea that you're going to become a CEO and not be available or read your emails occasionally, you know, on the weekends or in the evening, it's not going to be a good marker of success. I, I, again, unless you're in a Fortune 500 company and you have layers and layers and layers of senior leadership that essentially can handle what what you can. But certainly in a small to mid-size, that's one thing that I would avoid at all costs. I think uh, moving on to other skill sets, I I think the other skill set is really when it comes to your senior management is not to micromanage, but I call this micro-mentoring. So I think people say, well, I don't want to micromanage them. So I just hired them, met with them for a couple of hours, and now you know, they're off doing their job. That is not going to work for most positions, especially positions of leadership. So uh, I would say, yes, please do not micromanage. You don't want to be hovering over their desk and, you know, reading every email. But, you know, for most people, especially in senior leadership, uh, 
They want to know who they're working for. They want to understand your integrity, your principles. It's not going to get translated in a one-hour meeting on their first day, and that's it. Uh, Often it requires meeting them several hours a week. And the issue is often not their availability. It's your availability to invest in them. So instead of micromanaging, you have to micromentor because you theoretically have you know years and years of experience. You know this position better than they do. You know the company better than do. You know the culture. You're not going to get a lot of buy-in to your senior staff if you intermittently meet them with them once a month for half an hour or something. So I would say the other really important thing is to really invest, especially, especially, especially in your senior, senior people, the people that you really are, you're, you're going to want to count on. Um, the next thing is, you know, I, I think uh, there's a mentality that failure is not an option. I think a, a lot of people go into leadership and, and they're like, well, if this doesn't work, we'll pivot or whatever. And I th- I get that. And sometimes you do have to do that for market forces change. But I think you really have to understand that this concept that you don't want to have a backup plan, of course, is in a dire situation. But in your mind, you don't want to have a backup plan for everything you do. Like, let's just try this. Because what what I have found is senior leaders, when they get a bump in the road, if they are persistent, can often get through the problem as opposed to just giving up at the first set of bumps in the road. So that's really, really important. The next thing that I often stress in terms of being the CEO is really know your competition. You know, a lot of people don't invest enough time in understanding their competition. And when I say invest, I'm talking about literally go to their stores, order their products, go through their customer journey, try to return something. And I'm talking about all your reasonable competitors. You really, really, you can learn so much from that. I have found it so useful in making internal decisions, understanding the challenges our competitors are having, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. It boggles my mind how much we learn. And we do this intensively. You know, we we will deep dive into the bowels of this, these other businesses in an ethical sort of way. We know what their website looks like. We know what kind of SEO they're doing. We know, you know, where they're spending their marketing money. We know when they've pivoted to new products. Having that at your fingertip is essential. And if you as the CEO don't drive that mentality, it's often not going to work. The next thing I would say, besides knowing your competitors, I think most people think that they're going to make inroads with their competitors by having great customer service, which by the way, I think having great customer service is essential. If you don't have great customer service, you're dead. So let's put that out there. But great customer service is not something I would take to the bank to differentiate you from your competitors. And also, it's not a barrier to entry because you have great customer service. So even if you have the best customer service in your industry, that's not much of a barrier, right? I mean, anyone could sort of develop better customer service than you or match it. So I think I see a lot of CEOs just sort of relying on, we answer the phone and we, we, you know, we care, we talk to you. That's great. And of course, believe me, you have to do all that. But I wouldn't count that as a barrier to entry for your competitors. So it's something to think about as you're trying to roll out a product, roll out a company. 
that yes, you're you should focus a lot on customer service, but that shouldn't be your differentiator. And again, some CEOs are not very good at it. Managing people, not very good at customer service. They are human beings and with mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses. So thank mm-hmm. you for pointing those out. Why do you think the five skills you just mentioned are underrated? Again, because I think most people really don't think about some of these things because they think it, um, for whatever reason, you know, they don't think being a CEO is the equivalent to landing a 747, right? Where you definitely would need some skills. It's viewed as a soft skill for a lot of people. As though, uh, you know, would I be a good friend or a good uh, neighbor? But being a CEO, you have to acquire so many different skills besides the ones I mentioned. You know, for example, you have to deliver the same information to different people differently. In other words, you may want to have a conversation about somebody's, you know, the product they're putting out and how you convey that. Let's say you're dissatisfied to five different people, you're going to have to serve it up differently. And you're going to have to calibrate how you serve it up and the degree and the severity. You know, some people needed to hear it directly. Some people you need to first tell them how well they're doing on other stuff and then serve it up like that. Some people need to literally be put on notice. Some people, uh, a gentle, humorous you know, nudge will get the same effect. That's not something that's just soft skills. That's You have to calibrate that in ways that are not intuitive sometimes. You have to know the person. And some of that comes from a lot of experience because you've tried being somewhat direct with someone that didn't work, but it really worked better when you incentivized them or rewarded them or praised them or you know, uh, sandwiched it between other comments. So it's a very surgical thing and, and not as, as soft as people think. And so I'd like to think forward a little bit with you. What do you think the skills of a CEO will be like? Or what skills will they need to be successful in the next, say, five to 10 years from now? Even though five is actually very different mm-hmm. from 10 years from now. First of all, with how rapid technology is moving and, you know, of course, AI, even just in the last few months, the CEO's ability to be dialed into you know, the ever-expanding impact of technology on their sector, you just simply cannot be a novice at at that. So I think even the intensity then the last few months has changed. But getting back to what we talked about uh, in terms of not micromanaging, but mentoring people, I I think that's going to become even more important, especially as a certain percent of the workforce works from home or remotely or you know, in multiple locations. I think this ability to uh, mentor, build culture, and promote cohesiveness and teamwork is going to be even more important as some of these other technologies and trends continue. So I would say, you know, those skill sets need to be even more sharpened as uh, time goes by with these changes. And what do you think the role of artificial intelligence might be in CEO skills? Obviously, that's evolving as we speak, but even in our industry, it certainly, if done correctly, should augment and supplement a lot of the current tasks that you're doing and how you create content, how you serve up information, how you make decisions. I think you 
on one hand, uh, you know, you don't want to be jumping out way too far ahead. But if some of these AI technologies have an impact on your particular segment and your competitors get to it before you do, it could potentially be uh, not a fun thing. So I, I think you need to have your finger on the pulse of how it's impacting your industry and where you can surgically input it into your processes currently. And, you know, I've already seen people use AI to do interviews, you know, literally uh, online interviews using AI. So, you know, and we're talking about HR here. So already I've, I'm seeing that filter in into the hiring process. So, yeah, it's coming fast and furious. And you have to be aware of how it's impacting your particular industry, what your competitors are doing with it, and where you need to push the button and move ahead. Thank you, Dr. Bakhtari. It was really good having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system, with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.